This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. In 2008, a podcast was created with one goal. To bring Bat fans around the world news related to movies, comics, video games, television, merchandise, and so much more. And now, the Batman Universe Podcast has returned. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the TPU Podcast. I am Dustin and... Today, Scott brings us a very special interview with current writer of Detective Comics, Rom V. Uh, Rom V has, has also been known for writing a variety of other Batman universe comics, including Catwoman. Uh, he previously worked on Justice League Dark back when we were covering it years ago. Um, there's been a number of different things that he's done, uh, but specifically we're going to be focusing a lot more on his current work, which is Batman Detective Comics and his current story, Gotham nocturne so sit back and let's throw it over to scott this is scott with the batman universe podcast and today i have a very special guest joining me comic book fans may know him as the writer of these savage shores venom carnage justice league dark catwoman swamp thing and detective comics among many other titles launching in may he'll have a new book at dc comics the vigil i'm so happy to welcome the exceptional Ram V to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, well, you know, since the name of the podcast is the Batman Universe, we're going to start right off with Detective Comics. You know, mm-hmm. it's we've been reading it. It's you know, your run is you know, beautiful, haunting, dark, emotional, and heavy with symbolisms and themes. It's a really nice horror macabre kind of vibe that you yeah. know just feels fantastic um first question you know i have is what you know inspired you to tell this kind of story for batman yeah i mean um usually when i when i want to come up on a project uh when i want to pitch a project i i ask myself like what can i do that's new what can i do that that feels a little bit original um that hasn't been done before and i'll be very honest like i didn't think this vibe, this aesthetic would be something that hadn't been done on Batman before, but turns out like a gothic operatic, um, kind of modern day Batman, but entwined with historical lore and, and the idea of old things lying under the city in wait, um, hadn't, hadn't really been done before. And, um, yeah, if anything, I, I, w- I would have hated to have gone onto a book. And done something that felt like it was, you know, part of the same sort of milieu of books that had been there before. So, um, yeah, no, I came to detective with this take. Um, when my, when I talked to my editors, um, you know, I said, 
I kind of want to take on a big book next, uh, something like Detective, perhaps. And so one of my editors said, you know, okay, what would you do if you were taking on Detective? I said, I would do overly dramatic operatic Batman where everyone wore flowing gowns and capes and stood in the dark of night at their windows and brooded about their existential dread. So (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah. It's, I mean, it definitely, that feeling comes across and it's, it's, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, it's weird to say this because of like the operatic, Mm -hmm. like, you know, vibe and everything, but it's refreshing. I feel like in a way too, that's just, you know, to have that, it's so drenched in that vibe. So mm. I know it's, it's, you know, I know I, I, I personally love it, you know, on the comic side of our podcast, we have a separate one that just reviews comics. I know they're enjoying it. Right, um, great. The question I have on the story, you know, there's a lot going on in the story between the past, present, you know, the orgums and Batman, you know, mm. and the one thing that seems present in everything, you know, and this goes from the transformations with the asthma to discussions about Batman's dual identity is this idea of, you know, duality, you know, this battle. And it's, you know, no more present than in characters like Two-Face, you know, who's very mm. prominent in the story. So the question I had is how do you view this duality and like, how does it bleed into the story for you? I mean, the the duality of it is really at the heart of the narrative. Um, it's a, it's an easy sort of question to ask of Batman. Like, okay, who is, who is the driving force? Is it Bruce or is it Batman? And I kind of wanted to take that into, into a more sort of metaphysical level where what is the difference between Bruce and Batman? Um, outside of the functional stuff of, you know, I wear the costume, I go out at night and I fight crime. Um, how are the two inner personalities different? Uh, and, and that's where this idea of one wanting, desiring to be a human and the other pulling towards being something more, uh, we want to say demonic, but, but I, I don't really, I think more mythical, uh, is, is the idea. And then obviously, that thought process then took me to Barbatos and I said, okay, what if Barbatos is the embodiment of the mythical idea of Batman, which he kind of is. Um, And then obviously once I had that, uh, it was a matter of finding things within the narrative that would reflect that idea. Um, Gotham itself suffers from such a duality, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The idea, the idea of whether, it is a it is a good city with problems or it is an evil city with good people in it. Um, when you say you're saving Gotham or Batman's always saving Gotham, what is he saving? Is he saving the city, its institutions, its structures, or is he saving its people? And if he is saving its people, are we allowed to make this judgment of no, only the good people get saved and then the bad people don't get saved? Who makes that judgment? And I think these are all interesting questions uh within that sort of microcosm of the of the batman gotham universe if you will uh and then obviously the moment my brain went there two-face was the obvious Mm -hmm. sort of metaphor there um can you really save harvey if if you think excising two-face from that or scarvey from that equation is the way to save harvey have you really saved him or have you only saved half a person you know um, and so that, that kind of question is, is interesting, exciting. Um, and 
for now, we have dealt with it and we will see the ramifications of what has happened so far. Cool. Yeah, you actually like my next question was, you know, more about Two-Face, too, because that's, you know, with him being so central to the heart of, you know, at least what we've you know, read so far, you know, it's it's for one, I wanted to say, too, that like this is, you know, as far as a fan of the character, this is probably one of the best Two-Face stories we've seen in a long time, you know. Mm-hmm personal opinion um and then you know the fact that this kind of is reflected in him everything going on in gotham is reflected in him i wanted to ask is this you know is he in a way representative of like the centuries-old battle that's been going on between batman and the organs you know through the past stories is it is there some kind of current there or is he just kind of its own thing i mean he's the most obvious yeah. metaphor to take to to explore that but i mean all the other villains i've picked on uh through the run are also kind of bearing their own duality if you will you know freeze of mm-hmm. he's trying he's a is he a good person trying to save his wife or is he a terrible monster sacrificing other people for his obsession uh um you take talia is she is she a good person born into a difficult uh, ideology or is she simply carrying on her father's work? Uh, and so I think that idea of, of dualities, people kind of caught between two things mm-hmm. um, is a, is a common thread uh, to, to all the characters that I've, I've picked so far with maybe the exception of Ten-Eyed Man and, and Solomon Grundy. I picked them because they were just cool. Um, <laughs> well, Ten-Eyed but, Man really fits the aesthetic and everything, you know, of, yeah, of Gotham. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he's caught between ten ideas. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so, so Two-Face is like the most obvious, uh, um, expression of that. But I think, is true of all of the the characters that we've picked on so far. And I think we will see that duality, that struggle play out and and what role all of these characters have uh, in in the climax, in the coming together of the narrative. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not, it's not, although it has been centered around Two-Face for quite a while, it's not really a a, a story that's limited to Two-Face, if you say that. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. Um, you know, it's just, the... it's just a personal connection because he yeah. happens to be Bruce's friend. Uh, and so it made sense to be able to place Harvey and Scarvey on one side and then Bruce Wayne and, and Barbatos on the other. No, that makes sense. And it's just, you know, what you mentioned earlier, too, with <clears throat> removing the, as you call it, Scarvey from Harvey, you know, does that really save him? You know, that's it is. It's a nice representation to see because there are a lot of stories where, like, the the goal is to, you know, excise that, you know, from Two-Face, the Two-Face part, and yeah, then the Harvey. And in this case, we, it's like a, a bond. There's like a union and like yeah. a balance kind of going. I mean, if we, if we ex- extrapolate that idea further, it, it kind of leads into a lot of problems that we face with contemporary society and the way it looks mm. at mental health, the way it looks at criminality. I mean... Oh yeah, okay. This city has a has a lot of crime. So what do we do? Okay, we'll catch all the criminals and put them in prison. Does that solve it? Have you saved the city? 
Yeah. If you right. haven't addressed the reason criminality exists in the first place, if you haven't for for to go back to more metaphysical ways of speaking, if you haven't fixed the soul of a city and you keep picking on its scabs, how, are you really saving that city? And and so this is the question we Batman must ask of himself. If I've been spending all this time, you know, fighting off these these people that I think of as villains, and then there's another force that comes in and says, great, I can wave a magic wand, and all these villains are gone. Mm-hmm. Is Gotham a better place now? Have you saved it? Right. It's, it's interesting um, talking about the soul aspect of it or using that term, because one of the beats that was in uh, the most recent issue that came out, Second Comics 1069, you know, there was yeah. a conversation between Jim Gordon and Batman, you know, after patching Batman up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's leaned into this idea of, you know, the Bruce Wayne side, the human side feeding the, you know, the mythical Batman, as you were saying, you know, and giving up pieces of himself and possibly his soul, it seemed like mm-hmm. was some of the undercurrent there to keep Batman going. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and this is true, again, this is true of people in non-superhero narratives as well, mm-hmm. right? You build this expectation around you, you build this mythology. And, and when you are young and you have that sort of fire and energy to put into it, um, the mythology feeds on that and, and thrives and does well. But then there comes a time where you lose that energy, you don't have it anymore. But the mythology still needs to be fed. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it will collapse. And so we see so many people kind of really driven people kind of running themselves into the ground because other people, everyone else must not see them bleed. Everyone else must still see the dark night flying across the sky. And so rather than say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, because I think that's less interesting question. Yeah. And a more interesting question is, is that true of Bruce Wayne? Is that true of Batman? And if so, what's he going to do? Is he going to step back? Is he going to step into it? What's the, what's the solution? And we'll see the, we'll see the narrative play. Yeah. Out I was going to say, <laughs> I'm sure he'll tell us just yeah. not now because we're only getting yeah. to chapter two, yeah. end of the month. So, um, when it comes to, you know, the orgums, Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of the, the cyclical battle here going on here, this, this is what feels almost like a loop, you know, with what we, we saw in the annual. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the co-hosts on our comic podcast, Ian, shout out for Ian, um, had a question about this. And he asked, you know, do you see the patterns of history, you know, as represented by the reality engine? Um, and can the Orgum's plans be broken or only resisted? Sorry, what was the question again? So, do you see the patterns of history as represented by the reality engine mm-hmm. in the um, issue? And the follow-up to that was, can the Orgum's plans be broken or only resisted? Well, I mean, part of the part of the problem is the the reality engine. If you read the annual, the reality engine that they placed into Gotham was not planted in the most optimal circumstances. They had a yeah. They had a they had a sort of a spanner in the works in the form of a proto Batman thrown in, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that whatever reality that the organs desired has been running in a loop, but is constantly thwarted by the presence of 
these kind of mythical characters. And a lot of people came back and said, does that mean Batman has always existed, that Gotham will always create a Batman? I think that's the less interesting question. The more interesting question is like, is that why the city keeps creating vigilantes? Is that why the city mm-hmm. keeps creating? So it's not just Batman. Yeah. Is that why there are so many bat people existing in Gotham? Is that why? Because that's a really odd thing for a city to have like constantly <laughs> generate Robins and Nightwings and Signals and Batgirls and Batwomen. I thought I thought it was a fascinating concept and. If you if you go look back at Morrison's run, the the hypothesis Morrison makes is that Batman is part of the design of Gotham, right? Mm-hmm. Now there's two there's two ways you could look at that. When the, the obvious assumption is yes, he is part of the design of Gotham, and therefore he is one of the pieces that fit into Gotham. Or you could think that the design has an error, and the error that repeats itself each time is Batman, mm-hmm. and so. This run hypothesizes that the organs had a design and there was an error in that design and the error has kept replicating itself. And now they're finally back to remove that error from their design, if you will, because I think philosophically that says something different. It says that Batman and therefore a vigilante is not and can never be part of the system, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you make, if you make your vigilantes part of the system, then essentially they're just another tool for for the system for the for the institution to oppress but a true vigilante must always exist outside of the system and must always stand in opposition uh, and so i think that's a fascinating line for me to take what do, what happens to batman if gotham is fixed is that it does he does he like fold away his cape put it into a box lock it up and go home and leave, live the good life or is is his design, is his concept necessarily one that must find the next thing to fix? Hmm. It's an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm thinking about that. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question to, to ponder. I don't know if I can answer it. Like, huh. It's the the one thing I was gonna say, not necessarily related, but with the Orgums, is they need to learn from the tech community, and I don't think they're going to solve the problem by trying to excise it, because, you know, usually when you fix one thing, you break something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that leads to questions of what are your priorities? You know, what are you willing to break? Yeah. To, 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 and what are you willing to keep? And those priorities change depending on who you are, what mm-hmm. part of the city you come from, whether you're someone who lives uh, at the in the penthouse or someone who rents in the in the roughest part of the city. And and those answers are different. And so we must, I guess, from my perspective, I would like to see a Batman that truly sides with the little guy, mm-hmm. that truly sides with people who really do need saving in the city, right? So we'll 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 get to that in time. Yeah. Okay. Good tease there. Um, <laughs> you know, jumping to the villain cameos we've had so far. You know, are there? Do you have any more rogues planned to appear, like classic rogues? And are there any teases you could offer? Oh yeah, there's definitely classic rogues planned to appear. I mean. 1072, 1071, 1072 kind of deals with the history of the organs and how that ties into, into 
Reish, Raz al Ghul. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I don't think we've had a Raz appearance yet. So that will be there. Um, we've got another big, um, villain appearance coming up in 1071 as well, which I will not spoil, but people should watch out for it. Um, and then the future arcs, there are, I think there are two, three more arcs after that. Um, and each of these arcs will feature, uh, again, sort of big, interesting villains, but, uh, largely, I think, I believe, uh, there's a, there's an arc with Catwoman making an appearance again. Uh, there's a very Morrison inspired arc. So we'll see some Morrison related bad guys show up as well. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Lots of plants, lots of plants. And you say lots of plans. How, how far out would you say, you know, there are plans for in terms of the tech comics run? I mean, I know, I know the whole run. I know how it yeah. plays out. Um, and I, th- I would say we're about halfway through. Okay. Getting close to halfway through. So awesome. Well, that's exciting because, you know, for us who have been enjoying it so far, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, ride this ride for as long as it goes. So I'm glad. I'm glad. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Things, things, uh, usually things structurally stories kind of build up to the halfway point. Yeah. And then everything goes crazy. So, uh, I hope, I hope people are prepared because things are about to go crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, as far as we know, we just talked about the rogues. What about members of the Bat family? You know, can we expect to see more of the roster join the fight? To Maybe an extent. Nightwing or Stephanie Brown? To an extent. Uh, I won't, I won't confirm, uh, any of those names, but <clears throat> yes, we will, we will see, we will see Bat family members make an appearance. I mean, Cass Kane already has made an appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oracle's already been involved. Uh, so yeah, yeah, more to come. Uh, the story only expands and gets bigger from here. So cool. Um, you know, and, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, something that I really enjoy about this run, you know, is that it seems like, you know, everything going on is, you know, reflected and mirrored throughout Gotham City, like the city mm. as itself. And, you know, in a way, it does remind me, you know, of, you know, your work on Swamp Thing in the sense that, like, there's a strong connection between, you know, our actions and, you know, maybe the world or the planet around us, or mm. in Detective Comics's case, the city, you know, yeah. can you uh, speak more to this? Like, you know, what inspires you to draw these connections? I mean, I guess psychogeography has always been part of mm-hmm. the way I've, I've dealt with stories. I think stories are played out against a canvas, against a set. And if your set is extraneous to the story, then, then it kind of feels out of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so the set becomes a character. The set needs to be a character in some ways. Uh, and so that has always been an endeavor, uh, you know, across my work, Paradiso, these savage chores, they were all, uh, sort of preoccupied with the, with the histories and the, and the set. Uh, personalities and the, and the eccentricities of their own settings as well. So, um, and I mean, Gotham's role as a, as a character within the Batman mythos is, is already laid into the, into the foundations of, of any Batman story. So why not lean into it? And then, you know, jumping onto Swamp Thing, 
um, I wanted to talk about how the, the, I wanted to talk about two things, Trinity and the Parliament of Gears, you know, in that they're both fantastic additions to the lore, you know, and really speak to, you know, different fears about, you know, human humankind's destruction of nature, you know, climate change. And, you know, obviously this seemed intentional and Trinity's inspiration seems pretty obvious, but are there any specific inspirations you had for the Parliament of Gears? I mean, it, I wouldn't say it, were, it was an inspiration. I think if you kind of posit the basis of my Swamp Thing run as mm-hmm. this grand narrative of ideas sort of colliding, coming together, pushing against each other, then <clears throat> it kind of made sense to me um, that if you look at the great parliaments established in the Swamp Thing mythos, these are these are things that govern the forces of life, the forces of the planet, uh, and they have the ability to affect change onto the planet. Uh, and so then it made sense that, well, if you look, go back and look at the past, I don't know, 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. the, the force that has affected the most amount of change on the planet is human industry. Uh, and so it made I mean, it tickled my fancy to go, okay, what if human industry then said, well, clearly we need a parliament and we should set one up because that's exactly how industry would do it. They would insinuate themselves into a place where they were not wanted. And then as soon as they were there, they were like, well, we should build ourselves an office. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of my thought process behind introducing that parliament. Um, I know there had been other parliaments before that were looking at, you know, industry and, and technology as, as a thing, but I felt like they hadn't truly investigated the idea of what does it mean when you say technology or industry is now an entity that is separate from its creators, that needs its own parliament. Um, because if you look at where the world is today, mm-hmm. that's what we're doing, right? We say, we say, oh, corporations are putting growth hormone into cows and that's leading to human defects and problems. It's not corporations, it's people. But, but we insinuate the presence of this faceless entity called the corporation that must absorb all our negativity because God forbid we blame CEOs and, and, um, you know, scientists sitting at the top of these things. When you do that, you are essentially creating an entity that is meant to take all responsibility. The same thing we do when we say um, AI art, for example, and we say, oh, AI art is learning. It's not plagiarism. It's learning, just like people do when they look at great painters and they learn from like, yes, but AI is also just a tool created by people. Yeah. So it's not really, you can't really compare AI learning to people learning because, you know, AIs don't have children. They don't have to go home and, and, and feed their children and be gainfully employed, uh, so that they can rent the house. So yeah. the idea that these pieces of technology or these ideas can exist untethered from their connection to humanity is a very dangerous idea. Uh, that that we've opened the gates to, but have not necessarily explored. No, and that's that's fascinating, and I love I love that thought process process of it because as you're talking, the 
gears of my brain are turning on that, you know, and just, I know South Park made a joke about it too, but like the economy, you know, we always talk about yeah, the economy, yeah, like exactly. it's some deity or, you know, with AI, you know, there's always the argument that can be made of like, what is true AI? Because at the end of the day, it's programmed by people and serves specific function and follows specific. I mean, even, even if you do achieve true AI and, mm -hmm. and it develops its own intelligence, you cannot, you cannot possibly bequeath it the rights of a human being because then you would say that in a society that I have created, I now bequeath the rights equal to me to yeah. something else, uh, which is a very, I mean, philosophically, if you think of it, it would be akin to God saying there's no difference between me and human beings, right? Like if you, if you are so inclined to be, to be theological in this, in this regard, um, can you imagine a place where God creates human beings and then goes, you have the same rights and powers that I do? Yeah, that would be instantly, instantly that system breaks down. That sounds like a comic book idea right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, still on Swamp Thing, are there any future plans for more Swamp Thing? Or, I mean, not tangibly so, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been very lucky and blessed to, to have continue to do work at DC. So I, I don't, I don't imagine it's in, out of the realm of possibility for me to go, Hey, can I, can I return to this character? I've got another story to tell. I've got another idea to explore. Okay. And then, you know, you've written quite a lot of characters, big characters, you know, for, both of the big two, you know, yeah. are there any legacy characters you would like to write? My answer to this question is always yes, but mm -hmm. I can't tell you about them because they're already pitches and they're probably sitting in editors' inboxes. So <laughs> I would be undercutting. I would be undercutting myself. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, I will pull back on that. But that's good to know because if if whatever the character i'm sure if your name's on there and you know i would be interested to see what your take would be on that character so yeah thank you no i mean this it's really the great joy of working at these companies and being able to you know reach out to editors and say hey what about this you know i've got an idea i kind of want to take sometimes you get a response that's like sometimes i particularly enjoy reinventions so i like to mm -hmm. pick up characters that haven't been seen for a while and sometimes the response I'll get is like, really? Who? You want to do a story about that character that's not been around for 40 years? That's going to be great for sales. Um, but I think it's part of the joy of it. And, and so I imagine that will be my endeavor to, to always be talking about characters that haven't been seen in a while that I feel like we could do something interesting and new with. Well, and I think. I think there's something to be said of that. I think you create little like mini renaissances of, you know, love for that character, but also kind of open a whole new door for, you know, other people to kind of like discover and glom onto it and, you know, fall in love with yeah. Yeah. either what makes that character great or, you know, whatever that story's about, you know, that's, you know, as someone who really likes Swamp Thing, you know, when you came out with your Swamp Thing series, I was like, oh, wow, you know, <laughs> like this is... <sighs> He's back, you know. I mean, I know he was a Justice League Dark and everything, but he's on his yeah. solo title, so um, yeah. Yeah. it was great. No, I, I I agree that you know there's always a window to do that, and and you know look at 
look at everything Tom King has done, right? Like yeah. Human Target and and Danger Street now and Rorschach. I think there's always interesting takes on characters that should be encouraged and, and we should see them out in the world more often. True. Speaking of new characters, what can you tell us about the vigil coming out in May? Or I know they're appearing in Detective Comics first, but Yeah, yeah. No, uh so so to put it succinctly, the vigil is a is a group of independent operators whose uh sort of prime prerogative is to find and shut down rogue technology, uh rogue ideas to prevent a future that we are not yet ready for, if you will. Um so so with that sort of log line said, uh, essentially it's a it's a group of uh, Indian superheroes that I'm introducing into the DCU uh, as part of a as part of a team book. Um, they uh, to go into some exclusive reveals. They're they're kind of created by rogue technology. They're kind of created by the the, the weaponization of of uh, dangerous ideas. And in their own creation, they realize there must be no more, and therefore they set out to. Um, become this kind of balancing force against the proliferation of these dangerous ideas to go back to kind of the subject of AI and parliament mm-hmm. of gears. Like that's the kind of stuff they would be looking to stop. Um, and so it, it puts it, it puts these characters in an interesting territory again with this idea of like, most rogue technology that we know of is usually starts off as a conspiracy, some sort of leak somewhere, someone's testing something, uh, you know, and it kind of takes me back to a subject that I'm fascinated with stuff like the Philadelphia experiment and, and oh. Ultra, and, and, um, you know, there's, there's shades of, um, roadside picnic and, and stalker in there. So again, like really, really good meaty, uh, story stuff to dig into. And then in terms of format, you know, um, planetary, global frequency, a lot of the wild storm stuff, authority has always kind of dealt with this kind of, uh, stuff. But I think to do it again in the here and now and to do it from the perspective of, uh, Indian characters with, it, with their cultural background, I think provides me with an interesting, interesting starting point and therefore a fresh canvas. Absolutely. Awesome. We'll look forward to that. Um, <clears throat> for anyone who's listening, and their introduction to your work is Detective Comics. Yeah. What would you recommend them read next? Um, well, go back and read Swamp Thing. Go back and read Justice League Dark. Um, obviously, pick up the vigil when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I'm a big fan of looking forward. So I've got lots of books coming out this year. Uh, so, yeah, just keep an eye out for If you enjoy my work, you will enjoy um, you know, everything that I'm, that's, that's about to come out. I've got a creator own with Dark Horse. I've got a creator own with Image. Um, many deaths of Layla Star. The hardcover is out now. Um, and so that's another book that, that people have really enjoyed. Uh, so yes, don't, don't limit yourself. Pick up, pick up anything and everything that tickles your fancy. <laughs> and then the last question I have, I like to ask, you know, creators of, um, well, it's, a- it's a two-parter. 
So, well, actually, it's the same question, but rewritten a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some comics on the shelves right now that inspire you? You know, and the other way I phrase that is, you know, what's on Ram V's pull list? Well, um, I don't really, I don't, I don't really do like monthly pulls, but I will mm-hmm. pick up collected editions, trades, um, and I tend to follow creators a lot. Um, so I'll pick up anything from Karen Gillen. Uh, generally pick up everything Jonathan Hickman does. Um, Jed McKay, uh, a, a lot of their stuff at Marvel has been really cool. Um, Dan Waters, uh, Azrael, uh, Arkham City, now on Loki. Uh, Alex Pacnadel is doing Red Goblin over at Marvel, but also has a creator on call All Against All Out. Um, Dennis Campbell. Uh, who did 20th Century Men recently is, is a phenomenal, phenomenal writer that people should be paying attention to. Um, yeah, I think, I think that that's a fairly, uh, good slate of comics to be, to be picking up and reading. Uh, Maxwell Prince, another one, Ice Cream Man, fantastic stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty big stack there and very varied. So, um, but yeah, thank you for joining me for the Batman Universe podcast. You know, it's been My a pleasure, pleasure to have you on and talk to you. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview uh, with Ram V. We uh, appreciate Ram V coming on to participate in the interview. Also, special thanks to Scott, who uh, organized and obviously did the interview. And uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying these different interviews that we have. If you have somebody that you'd like us to interview in the future please be sure to send us an email at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net with any uh, uh, suggestions of things you'd like to see on future episodes. In addition to that, if you're interested in finding out all about Batman and the entire Batman universe, be sure to check out our website, thebatmanuniverse.net, for all kinds of news, editorials, reviews, original content, other podcasts all related to Batman and the Bat fandom, covering everything from movies, television, video games, comics, merchandise, and everything else that you can imagine. Outside of that, be sure to check us out on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are also on uh, Discord. You can find all of our social links at the top of the page over at thebatmanuniverse.net. With all of that being said, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Batman Universe Podcast. See you guys next time.